we titled, I titled this The Breath of God. Now, people often ask, you know, why do churches like the Vineyard talk about the Holy Spirit so much? It just seems uh, kind of a little strange. People don't understand the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there's a little pushback when you talk about the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do today is, in the little outline that I gave you, there's a, a copy of the Apostles' Creed. So could you look at that? Take that little outline out. We're going we're gonna to repeat the Apostles' Creed together. There's something really powerful about that when we do that. So anybody not get one of those outlines? We'll make sure you get one. Okay. Okay, well, only one person. Good. Sorry. Sorry, Mary. Didn't mean to overlook you. So uh, let's say this together. Everybody ready? And th- that means you're going to say it out loud. <laughs> Just... Just want to get you along with me here. It's not, not uh, we're not doing it in our heads. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's own Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So did you notice that line in there? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. But I think uh, in, in, in often in church, we just believe in God the Father and God the Son. Uh, we don't understand the Holy Spirit. Whatever we think we understand about the Holy Spirit, we're kind of freaked out by. And we're uncomfortable uh, with what that might mean to us. And the truth is that there, there's no reason why you should feel uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit any more than you should, feel, you should feel uncomfortable about the Father and the Son. We're going to see today in this little passage that, that we're going to read is just like the Holy Spirit is often missing in church, what's missing in our faith, what's often the missing piece of our faith, which is so crucial, is the Holy Spirit. So there's so much we could say about the Holy Spirit. We're just going to look at a very short passage in the book of John. It's John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. If you have a Bible with you, if you could open it to John chapter 20 and find verse 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, under the chair seats in front of you, there are paperback Bibles, which, by the way, you're welcome to take one home with you. We love to give those away. Uh, It's always good to see folks taking Bibles, uh, stealing Bibles from the church. And we, seriously, we'd love to give them to you. Uh, I've, I've actually been over to folks' house uh, who were, who've asked for, you know, like a pastor from the vineyard, one of our leaders to come by. So I dropped by their house. And how, how long have you been coming to the vineyard? You know, they say, oh, like a couple of months. And, you know, we want to get some questions answered. So we're starting to talk. And I look on their coffee table, and there's one of our Bibles. I go, all right, you took one home. And they kind of look, oh, they look, you know, we weren't sure you really meant 
that we could take one home, but we took one anyway, and we're kind of embarrassed. We didn't notice that was there, or we wouldn't have left it out when you came. Uh, But the truth is, you can't take one home with you. So, uh, John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. And let me just tell you, this is one of those uh, strange passages about the Holy Spirit. I picked this on purpose because it encapsulates so much about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. But people read this and they just go, wow, that was weird. Just going to move on. (laughs) Just going to move on from this verse. I don't even know where to put that in my faith. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay, we'll stop right there. Now, if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you have to talk about Jesus. Uh, Sometimes people want to talk about the Holy Spirit, but they sort of separate him from Jesus. Well, and you're going to see in this, like you'll see in this passage, and we don't have time to unpack every detail of this, there are layers and layers and layers of of rich uh, truth that are in this short little uh, passage here. But Jesus is shown in this passage in three roles he plays in our life. First, you see Jesus as the resurrected Lord. Then you see him as the Prince of Peace. You know, he says peace to you. And peace is a, a, is a, a real important word to understand uh, because it's so meaningful to every aspect of our lives. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Second, and then he is the giver of the Holy Spirit, which is really important to understand. Because if you want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to meet Jesus. And once you meet Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes into your life, but you can keep meeting the Spirit and experiencing him in fresh ways over and over and over. So here in this passage, let's look at Jesus as the resurrected Lord. It says, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now this was, this was a short time, maybe just a few days, at the most a week or two after Jesus was crucified. He was arrested and crucified publicly and buried, and then he rose from the grave. But the disciples are still afraid because the Jews had the power of Rome on their side, and if they had killed Jesus, what would they do to them? And so they were really afraid for their lives, and they locked the doors like that's going to stop anybody, right? I mean, that's, that is the point of this that I want to make out of this passage is it says that they locked the doors, and then all of a sudden, despite the doors being locked, Jesus was in their midst. And he said to them, look at my hands and look at my side. He was trying to show them, I was crucified. What you saw was real. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a bad dream. It was the plan of God. And, and you know, he explained this to them over and over. But what he was saying and what brought the joy to them was that the fact that he had wounds in his side I mean, his hands and his side and his body was bruised and beaten, but he had been raised from the dead. He took the best shot the world could give him, and he defeated the world. 
He defeated all the powers that they were so afraid of. And he was standing there in their midst and saying, don't be afraid of anything. I've defeated all your enemies. There's nothing they can do to you. I'm here with you. And that's just a, 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 a one simple point I want you to take away today. And I want, in fact, I want to pray just for a second. Because the, the same resurrected Jesus that was there with them is here with us. And all of us at some point in our lives, we lock the doors is our way of trying to fend off some scary life circumstance, something that's too big for us. And, it, and in, in many senses, it is too big for us. But we're not alone. When we've become followers of Jesus, we're followers of someone who does, he doesn't just dispense with good advice. The Christian life is just not a little, uh, a life that's, that's guided by better wisdom than you get from Ann Landers. It's, it's a life where the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, lives with us and within us, and He's, he's alongside us. And we don't, have to be, we don't have to lock our doors anymore. I don't mean you have to lock your doors. You understand what I'm saying? You know? I mean the, the fear that many times we're gripped by because of circumstances in our lives. They had every reason to be afraid, but Jesus stood in their midst and said, don't be afraid. So I want to pray for a second. I want to ask you just to be quiet with me. Just close your eyes and be quiet. We're going to invite the Lord just to help you get in touch with the fact that the re He's resurrected and He's here with us and with you right now. Lord, I pray that uh, you would show each of us in just a, a fresh way this morning. If we're afraid of something, if we're overwhelmed by some aspect of our life, we ask that we could see that concern in the light of you as our resurrected Lord. And you said you would be with us forever and ever. And I asked it for each person here right now, just in this moment we pause as we study this, that they could sense your presence. That you'd give them that, that holy perspective that you granted those disciples in that room that took them from fear to joy. From fear to peace to joy. Grant them, grant each of us a measure of that this morning. And, and we ask, Lord, that we could hold on to this vision that we have of you now that's growing in our hearts as we're reminded of this, that your spirit is opening our eyes to see, that we could carry that with us as we leave this gathering this morning and as we go into our day, and that we could take it, and that your presence would be with us and that other people could experience it. In Jesus' name. Second, Jesus came as a prince of peace. He said, uh, peace be with you. And he said that twice to them. Now, he wasn't just trying to calm them down, right? They're all afraid. He was saying chill. He wasn't saying chill out, you know. That wasn't like a Hebrew idiom for chill out. He was saying something 
And there was life in what he was saying. He was imparting something to them. Because to, to Jews, the word peace doesn't mean just kind of a relaxed attitude. Peace means wholeness in every dimension of life. Sorry. The sound effect's going now. Shalom was a word that was used frequently in the Old Testament. It was, it was at the heart of the covenant that God made with Israel where he said, I'm going to provide for you in every dimension of your life and I'm going to right everything that's wrong and all the ways that the world's upside down and lacks shalom, I'm going to begin to introduce shalom through my Messiah, through my rule in your life. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's God's bringing his rule into our lives and bringing his wholeness. Now, sometimes we just think of wholeness only as the forgiveness of sins, and that's the first healing that anybody experiences. When the kingdom comes, our sins are forgiven because of Jesus. That's why he held his hands out. See, peace comes from the pain he endured, the wrath that he endured, the judgment he endured, which he carries around in his body, visible, is, the, is what brings peace to us. And so he said, I, the Father sent me to take wrath and judgment so it wouldn't fall on you, even though you deserve it. And so he was this, he's the prince of peace. He's the one that brings peace. Whoever comes to him can experience peace, but not just forgiveness of sins. Wholeness. Sin has affected everything. Sin has affected institutions. Sin's affected nature. Sin's affected relationships. We're going to start a, a series on the family uh, later in the, in the winter. And one of the things you, you, everybody knows, because we've all been involved in family, is that sin affects the family. And it, and it wrecks everything. Sin affects our finances. It affects our health. It affects everything. And, and most of all, it affects our relationship with God. Well, once that's healed, God wants to bring that kingdom into every dimension of our lives. That's why you see Jesus frequently healing the sick and casting out demons. And when nature would get out of control, he would just go, chill out. And the storm would calm down. And you see the kingdom of God coming into the world through Jesus. It's this cosmic thing. In fact, it, one day, all the effects of the kingdom, the intensity of it is going to increase and increase and increase and increase to the point where Jesus is going to return and he's going to speak and there's going to be a whole new heavens and a new earth. So it, it began quietly in this little occupied country called Israel. The kingdom broke in. And the kingdom has spread throughout history, throughout the world. And today, there are more people coming to faith in Jesus every day than ever in all the history of the world. And you may look at all the trouble in the world, but see, that's, that's part of what Jesus said was going to happen. In the last days, which is the time we're in, which started back when Jesus came, the kingdom of God that brought peace is coming into the world, but people who don't want it, including the prince of darkness, resist it and fight it. And so there's this conflict. And it's, it's crazy. 
Sometimes the way, if you really take the Bible seriously, it's crazy to think about life the way Jesus taught it. Because in the world we live in, it's the tough guy who gets his way. It's the hard. It's, it's those that have will. But that's not what Jesus said. That's not, that, that may work temporarily, but when you come in contact with his kingdom, something begins to happen in your life, and you begin, you begin to be persuaded because you see it, that new life in Jesus that there's another way to live. And it's not the strong that are going to end up with everything. Jesus said, it's the meek. And meek are not the weak. It's the meek, those who are surrendered to Jesus and who have embraced his way of life are the ones in the end will be on top. Now, we're on the bottom now. People think we're doormats because we forgive and we're generous and we love our enemies. Well, we try to, right? All those things are the way of Jesus' way of life. He's the Prince of Peace, and He offers it to us, but He offers it to us at a, at a great price. It's not free. He paid a price that we can't pay. And then when we welcome Him, that peace comes into our lives. And, you know, you may be here today, and you need to know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace for you. And you may have crap in your life that you've done that you feel completely embarrassed about. You don't even like to think about it. And, and, and maybe in, in a certain sense, you should feel ashamed of it. We all should feel ashamed about the way we've lived our lives. But Jesus took our shame. And he wants to know you can give him that failure. You can give him that mess. And he will forgive you, but he won't just forgive you. He will give you himself and his life to go in to the empty place in your heart. And you will begin to change and you will begin to be more like him if you follow him. This room is full of people. If you don't know Jesus that way, this room is full of people who can tell you, if you follow Jesus, it's crazy, but you become more like him somehow. When you follow Jesus, his spirit lives in you, which is the next point we're going to get to, and he makes you more like him. And that's the, that's the third point, and that's the thing where we want to look a little more closely today. So Jesus is the resurrected Lord, and he's the Prince of Peace, but he's also the giver of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. That's what happened here. And it's sort of a, an unusual way it happened, right? That Jesus came to them, and he promised them. We, we can't look back in the book of John for the sake of time, but for three, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus went over the work of the Holy Spirit with his closest followers, and he made certain promises to them. And he said, you know, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to sin and go back to the Father. But I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and he's going to be to you what I've been to you, but it's going to be even better because he's going to be in you. He's not just going to be around you through my presence. He's going to be in you. You're going to experience God directly, personally, the way you've experienced him through me, but even more so, more intently. And, as he implies in here, as the Father is sending me, I'm going to send you, and then you're going to take my presence to people. I mean, can you imagine that? People who've lived shameful lives, completely rebellious against God, 
careless of God, who our lives were characterized by everything but godliness. But because of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, we're going to take Jesus and we're going to bring his presence to people. As the Spirit was poured out on Jesus, and then Jesus poured the Spirit out on them, we, God's people, are going to be the instrumentality through which God pours the Spirit out on other people who don't know Him yet. And then on one another, over and over and over. That's, that's pretty cool. I've seen this happen many times in my life. I've experienced it. I've heard about it. Many of you have experienced this. And that's what we want to get to today. The missing piece in your life is the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this for a second. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? You know, the Bible tells us that God is, how do I put it? There's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can see all three persons in this passage. Jesus says, the Father sent me. I've come from God the Father, God that you worship. And I'm God in the flesh that you can worship, which you see them doing. And he says, and I'm going to send God the Spirit on you now. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you can't separate them. They're together everywhere in the Bible. And there's a mystery to this. I, I, I just want to warn you, when you study the Holy Spirit or you study the nature of God, there's a mystery to, to it that we want to try to compress down to something that's understandable and honestly, it's so we can control it. God can't be compressed into any box of any size, but he can be known and encountered and experienced. But there is truth about him that he reveals that Jesus says is important to grasp. And Jesus himself said earlier in the Gospel of John, he said this, it's a, it's a, this may never have occurred to you, but... When he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, when he was talking about being born again, he said, the Holy Spirit blows wherever he wishes. Now, I want to tell you something about the word spirit. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there, there's, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word for spirit and there's a Greek word for spirit. The Hebrew word is this, is this word ruach. And it means wind or breath or spirit. So what he's saying is that God's spirit, his breath, his wind gives life. It's his life. Like when, when someone dies in the medical profession, they say they expired. They breathed their last. Breath left them. Right? Here, Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, and he uses the word pneuma. Well, uh, uh, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the word spirit in Greek, which is the two main languages of the Bible, are Hebrew and Greek, and a little Aramaic. In Greek, pneuma means breath or wind or spirit. You know, a pneumatic drill is one of those drills that's run by air pressure. And again, there's this sense of breath, the breath of God. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, but 
He is the holy breath of God. And so when Jesus said the Holy Spirit blows, he's saying the breath of God blows wherever he wants. So there's a mystery to the work of the Spirit. If you want to have a simple definition of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's God in action. When you read everywhere the Spirit is mentioned in the Bible, God is active and moving. Do you understand? I mean, think, you can, you can, if you have verses in your mind, you can corroborate that just by comparing what I just said. He, the Spirit is God in action. You can see it in all these passages. God at work, right? And Jesus is saying, I'm breathing this the breath of God into you. The breath, the holy breath of God, the holy life of God. The life that you've met in me, I'm now breathing it into you. You just got to think about that a second. Do you get that? It's like the Spirit breathes into us as we open our hearts up to Jesus, the Spirit is breathed into us and the very life of God, what characterizes His life, what makes Him unique, in some sense that, that it's a, there's a mystery to, does that Spirit of God comes to live in us. The person, the Spirit, God in action, comes and indwells us. No matter what you've been like, just like when you first received Jesus, your, your life is nothing like what pleases God. But God comes into you nevertheless. And he comes in to start a transformation process that will go on forever, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus, I want you to, if, I'm going to read it. You, you can just look at it in the notes, but in, in Genesis 2, back when it describes God creating Adam. I want to read the passage to you. It's Genesis 2-7. It says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. When Jesus is doing this here, it is a repeat of Genesis 2. He's starting over again. There's a new creation coming into the world and it starts with people. And he starts with these people here in the story who were anything but special. They were just like us. And the missing piece in their lives, you see, he came to them, the resurrected Lord came to them with the doors locked. They were afraid of the Jews they are afraid of life. They are afraid of things that overwhelm them. And what did Jesus see they needed? What was missing? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And because they were his followers, he had promised them. In fact, if you remember when John the Baptist announced Jesus's, Jesus was showing up, the Messiah was here, he said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Because that was what the Old Testament promised. 
Every prophet talked about the Messiah. And that when the Messiah would come, the presence of God that had been in the world, in the garden, was invading the world again. That God was going to a tabernacle and be real to people, face to face. And so they saw it in Jesus first. Jesus would pray, and there was something going on that his disciples would watch, and they would go, teach us to pray like that. And he would say, say, our Father who's in heaven, and he taught them the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But they saw this face-to-face reality that Jesus had with God, his Father, and they went, where do we get some of that? And he said, you get it through me. And so, this new life has come in. And the key is the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you, the Bible says here, in fact, let's look at this. Let's look at this. It's real simple. You've got you to keep this in your mind. This whole thing is simple. Jesus said, if you want to know God, you need to know me. That we have peace with God through faith in Jesus. And in, in Romans 5, it says, since, therefore, we've been justified through faith, in other words, we've been made righteous in God's eyes through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 2.23, it says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So if you believe in Jesus, you're reconciled to God. You have the Father. You have a relationship with the Father through Jesus. But then this is the next part. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When we believe in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter replied in his sermon on the book of, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, he said to the crowds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, the promise, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So if you haven't received the Spirit of Jesus, you're not a Christian. Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. And the Spirit makes us alive. The Spirit makes us like Jesus. The Spirit takes what Jesus did for us and makes it real to us. He makes Jesus real to us. That's why Jesus could say to them, I know you're sad that I'm leaving, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit's coming. Because earlier in the Gospel of John, John said, Jesus taught them that the Holy Spirit couldn't be poured out until Jesus was glorified. So once he died and rose again, he was glorified. And then you see the Spirit begin to be poured out. If you go to the book of Luke, when the angel came to Zechariah and said, you know, you're going to have a son, and that whole story unfolded. And he, you know, he didn't believe, so his mouth was shut. And then the angel went from there to Mary and talked to Mary, and Mary said, May it be done to me according to your word. And the Holy Spirit came over her. When the Spirit touched her, she walked into her relative, uh, Elizabeth's home. And it says, when she said, hey, Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit fell on Elizabeth. Why? Because Jesus was, had been incarnated in her womb. And everywhere Jesus goes, the Spirit is poured out. If you follow Jesus, you will receive the Holy Spirit. But if you keep trying to receive the Holy Spirit without Jesus, you're getting the cart ahead of the horse. And sometimes that's what happens is, 
We begin focused on the Holy Spirit, but we need to focus on Jesus. If we focus on Jesus and follow Jesus, the Spirit will be poured out. But this happened in the vineyard movement. When the Spirit's poured out, it's always poured out. He's always poured out because of the focus on Jesus. Well, when a movement just becomes a movement of the Holy Spirit, it will eventually start dying because we, the, the, what gave us the momentum stops being our focus. And when that happens, then it just like slowly just decreases and decreases. But if we preach Jesus, just like this passage, Jesus is the resurrected Lord. He's the Prince of Peace, and he's the one that gives us the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, when I ask you, you know, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit lately? Have you been filled with God's presence? Has the breath of God come into you in a fresh way lately? I don't mean, you know, years ago. I mean lately, recently, in the last 24 hours, the last week, in the last month. You know, if you're having to look at the calendar to answer that question, you probably need to just say, nah, it's been a while. You know, uh, it's like, the, 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 forgive me, Father, for I haven't confessed in, you know, since eighth grade. That's the lapsed Catholic joke. Jesus wants to fill you again today with his spirit, his breath, his life in the deepest part of you. Now, let me give you a, a clue. When you wonder, where does Jesus want to fill me with that life? I want you to think about where you're the most frustrated in your life right now. Where you're the hungriest. Where you're the saddest. Where you're the most afraid. Where you're the emptiest. You know, our temptations are just idiot lights. They're telling us, you've got the desire of your heart pointed towards something that's vain and empty and won't satisfy you. Point desire. Desire is a good thing. God never says to you, get rid of your desires. You know, that's a Buddhist deception. Desire is not bad. Desire is wonderful. The only people that don't have desire in the world are the dead. It's what separates us from corpses. Now you may say, well, but I got some pretty messed up desires. They didn't start out that way. Do you understand that? You're made for God. He gave you a homing desire for Him. If you desire love or significance or purpose or belonging or understanding or security, you can't find those in anything you can lose. You can only find them in one place, in Jesus. And the Spirit is the one who delivers what Jesus did for you, all those things, into those deep places in your life. And so you may have been wondering, where do I get this? Because if you stop and think, what part of my heart, where is my heart most empty? Where do I most need this breath of life that Jesus says I can have because of him? Where do I need it? You just have to look at those parts of your life that you don't want to look at. Where you're afraid, where you're frustrated, where you're sad, where you're uh, depressed. 
where you're anxious, you know, where you feel alone, where you feel tempted. Most Christians think, I got to separate myself from that. That's the bad part of my life. No, that's the part you want to invite Jesus into. That's, where, that's what he comes for. He says, come to me, all you who, who are wrecked, and I give you rest. But he says, take my yoke. In other words, don't, don't take the yoke of the thing that you're trying to find your needs met through. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. The yoke of the Spirit. When we receive Jesus and his lordship, we receive the Spirit. And the Spirit begins to be active in our lives. Just like, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're running and running, if you ever exercise any kind, at a certain point, you realize you're breathing hard. Right? You ever get to that point where you just stop and you're just going, <sighs> and you're just, your, your lungs are sucking in air and it's going in and out and you, and you just, you can't get enough air. That's a, a little microcosm of what your soul is crying out for. You're crying out for the breath of God in your life. Now that's just an exercise. I mean, in your life. You need life. You can't get it. You can't get it on your own. And so, it's really simple. There's, you know, someone jokingly said this. I got this idea from somebody else. But if you want to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you come up to the bar. You drink. B-A-R. Believe, ask, and receive. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Come up to the bar and drink. The bar where you believe the promise, you ask for the Holy Spirit, and then you receive in faith. Now, to summarize in the, in the Bible, the way that the Holy Spirit came into people's lives is, some people had this tremendous experience, if you read through the book of Acts, where as soon as they heard the gospel and believed, the Holy Spirit fell on them in great power. Maybe more than you've ever experienced personally before. But if that didn't happen to you, you can see other times in the Bible where people were worshiping or they were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Like they're worshiping in a, in a, in a group setting like this, in a community worship gathering. Or, or probably more commonly, the most often, I think, referred to way that people experience the Holy Spirit was people praying for one another and laying hands on one another. And that fits right in with what Jesus said here. He said, as the Father has sent me, the Father poured the Spirit out on me, now I've poured the Spirit out on you, now you can lay hands on one another and pray for one another, and the Spirit will be poured out on the hungry, and the thirsty, and the lonely, and the bereaved, and the guilty, and the enslaved and the isolated, and the broken, and the whatever. So all I want to do today is just make this point. Maybe you can see in a little clearer way today who the Holy Spirit is, what He does, and that perhaps on some level you, can, you would agree with me, the Spirit is the missing piece in my faith. Maybe He hasn't been the missing piece in the past, but you realize today He is. That that breath 
that gives life, the breath of God, the ruach of God, the pneuma of God, the holy breath of God is meant to fill us. And He wants to fill us. That I asked you to stop and pray with me earlier and say, Jesus, you're the resurrected Lord. Jesus, and we didn't stop and pray, but Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. We could have prayed about that. But we're going to pray that Jesus would be here today and he would be the giver of the Holy Spirit throughout his body, through us. And so, uh, Adam, you still in here somewhere? We, uh, we sang a song during the worship set. It just goes, this is the air I breathe. Uh, fits, fits with what God's promised us. He promises us the Holy Spirit to fill us. Now, the Holy, uh, Jesus is here in our midst, but there's an, there's an attitude of openness and hunger that you have to cultivate. And hopefully the Lord's prompted you a bit and made you a bit thirsty, a bit dry, a bit, or you become aware of maybe feeling an emptiness in your life, of something missing. And perhaps this is a, a, a timely teaching to hear because you realize, wow, it really has been a while since I've been filled with the Spirit. Maybe you're here and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've believed in Jesus and you've experienced that, that quickening of His grace, but you've never been filled. And I didn't belabor this point, but the the word that's often used with the, the, the word filled or, or, or baptized are different words, but when John said that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit, he used a word from their uh, manufacturing sector, and it meant to, to dip a garment into dye. It, it meant to immerse a garment in dye. And so what he's saying is that Jesus wants to, if you open your heart up, he wants to take your soul and immerse you in the Holy Spirit. And when you come out, the Spirit has filled you. He has penetrated into your life in this profound way. And the garment comes out and it's taken on the color of the, the dye. And he wants to immerse you in his holy life. And he wants it to penetrate inside you. But it requires a vulnerability. Because faith is trust. And is trust anything other than vulnerability? Ultimately? And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to uh, uh, sing this song. You can stay seated for right now. And let's just sing this song as a, a simple prayer. And, and sing it with some expectancy that the Lord will meet you here this morning in, in very specific ways. I think he's already started, you know, moving and, and working. Uh, but let's just cultivate an openness to him for a couple of minutes here before we dismiss everybody. So, Adam, go ahead and play that.